repeat the last line, tag the last line. Thank you, Adana, for that music. Uh, 
what she chose today for her songs are what we call teaching songs. And some songs just carry a lot of content. And it's fun to see that. There was a guy named Ephraim of Edessa who wrote hundreds and hundreds of teaching hymns back in around the year 325 AD. And we had a sort of Ephraim of Edessa day today. That was beautiful. Thank you. Our sermon series is Outward Bound for the whole year. And we're looking at the book of Acts. My name is Dave Householder. Blessed to be your Bible teacher. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 13 today, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're dealing with something today called corruption, corrosion, entropy, decay, degeneration, and disrepair. These are the things we run into, especially since the rain has fallen. Have you driven on the roads lately? They're falling apart from all the water, and there's chuck holes everywhere. We hit one the size of a a swimming pool, I think, the other day. It just, just about lost all of our shocks. There's a, there's a lot of water in the system right now. and The roads are sort of disintegrating all around us. And the truth is we have that in our lives too. Our cars are slowly falling apart. We're all aging. We're going to be one day older than we were yesterday by the end of today. And we don't get better with age health-wise in general. There's a I was talking at Alpha about how young people have these big decisions to face. And as we get older, there's less big decisions. And Bill Zerson, who's one of our oldest people in the church, raises says, you have no idea the decisions you got coming up, which are coming up later, medically and otherwise. So we face the problem of entropy. With physics, everything tends towards disorder. We try to put things in order and things tend towards disorder. I worked at the library at our college and my job was to put books back on the shelf that people had taken out. And it was constantly, constantly, constantly trying to keep up with things. And they say that library work, along with being a dentist, are the two most psychologically distressing jobs that there are. Because people's mouths tend to decay over time and the library decays and all you can do is kind of put it back together to the way it was and we face these things in life but we're going to address that today. We've got some good news for those of you facing entropy, corrosion, uh, corruption, decay, degeneration and despair. Who wants good news on that stuff? We're going to have some of that today. Today is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week, the high holy days of the Christian calendar. And no matter how long you've been coming to church, it's hard to keep those things in order. Which day comes when? And if someone stops you at Costco and says, what's Maundy Thursday about? You just freeze for a second. So I'm going to walk you through them just as a review. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Were his poll numbers high or low? Really high. By Thursday, his poll numbers started to suffer and he realized he was going to be executed. And so on Thursday, he had a last supper with his disciples, with his students, and he instituted the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion and did the foot washing. That's on Thursday. On Friday, Good Friday, he was crucified. On the third day, on Sunday, he was raised from the dead. He walked around for about 40 days and he ascended into heaven on ascension, which is on a Thursday, 40 days later. And then the Sunday that follows that, about 50 days, seven weeks after Easter, is Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power. Everybody ready for the quiz? 
that we're going to be handing out. Just kidding. So, the Bible has a storyline. The Bible has a storyline. It isn't just a list of theological and spiritual facts. I once had a Muslim accountant from Egypt, and he read the Bible five times a day. I said, well, aren't you a Muslim? He says, yeah. He says, do you read the Quran? He says, no, it doesn't have a storyline. And there's something to that. The Bible has a storyline to it. It's called salvation history, the history of salvation. And the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, has a storyline to it, has a plot to it. So we've talked about Holy Week, the whole Bible, and I don't think you can be an educated person in the world without knowing the basic storyline of the Bible. I really don't think so, because all of our literature and all of our movies and all of our music just sort of keys back into that whole storyline. The storyline of the Old Testament is freedom from slavery and the establishment of Israel in the promised land. So the whole story of salvation, Paul, here in Acts 13, go to verse 13 if you would. Paul in Galatia. Paul was in Cyprus last week. We'll show you the map in just a second. He's crossed over into what is now Turkey into a region called Galatia. Who's heard of the book of Galatians? Later on, he wrote this book to the Christians in Galatia. And so here he is in Galatia, and he shows up, and this happens. We're going to talk about the story. We're going to talk about corruption. We're going to talk about entropy, and we're going to talk about Paul's solution for that. So verse 13. Paul and his companions, for all the marbles, what, uh, who were his companions? Barnabas and... John Mark from last week. Paul and his companions then left Paphos, and that was on Cyprus, we talked about that last week, for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, and we'll hear more about that later. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, they went to the synagogue for the services. Why didn't they go to the church? There were no churches in Galatia at the time. This is the very beginning. This is the youngest church. This is, the book of Acts is the story of the very youngest church. There is no church before the book of Acts. There is no church before Pentecost. After the usual readings from the books of Moses, which they called the Torah, and the prophets, which they called the Navi'im, or in Hebrew, the bubblers, those who bubble up with the word of God, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. They're tired of hearing the same old guy talk, and they thought, we've got some outsiders here who's a teacher. Let's bring him in. Let's hear some fresh stuff. People often ask me, when you go to hear someone else preach, do you wish you were preaching? I say, no, it's so much fun to hear someone else preach because they tell me stuff I don't know. So it's fantastic. So they're thinking, bring in this fresh speaker. Paul seems like an assertive guy with a lot to say. And so let's put him up in front and see what happens. Get a little energy going in the room today. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Children of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The children of Israel, the sons and daughters of Israel, were the Jews. But most of the synagogues in the Roman Empire had two kinds of people. They had the Jews, 
and they had the God-fearers. The God-fearers were Gentiles who were drawn to the God of Israel because the religion of the Roman Empire was disintegrating. Remember I talked about entropy. You've heard of all the, the planets are named after the gods of the Roman Empire, basically. And people stopped believing in them. They just did it. It was sort of like a big soap opera in the sky, a big dog and pony show that they, they quit believing in it, especially the smarter ones. And high IQ Romans started hanging around the synagogue. Why? Because Moses and the prophets had a deeper wisdom. And why did they have a deeper sense of wisdom? They had a deeper sense of wisdom because the Bible is wisdom built on the shoulders of wisdom, built on the shoulders of wisdom over centuries. And there is a plot. There is a story to it. And there's deeper wisdom in the Bible than there was in the Roman gods and the Greek gods. So smart Romans and smart Greeks were hanging around the synagogue because that was where you went to get really good stuff. Listen, children of Israel, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. So here's the map. I promised you that. If you look at the map in purple there, he left from Antioch in Syria and went to Cyprus. That was last week. That's where he went all dirty hairy on the other guys. If you want to hear that sermon, he blinded a guy. That's pretty intense. And that was last week. They took the boat from Cyprus to Pamphylia and into Galatia and Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. We're going to talk about those cities as we go along. This is Paul's first missionary journey. There were three journeys and a journey to Rome. There might have been a journey to Spain. That's a whole other thing. But we have the Galatian trip. The first journey is the Galatian trip, and afterwards he writes the letter to the Galatians. Why didn't he write it before? Because he didn't meet the Galatians till after this trip. And there are some real problems to solve. We're going to find out about that in the weeks to come. Paul gives the folks, stands up, puts up his hand, and he gives them the whole salvation history of the Old Testament in a few paragraphs. Now, some of you don't know what this is, but those of us who are older know about Reader's Digest versions of books. My grandmother had a whole, a whole bookshelf full of Reader's Digest versions of books, and they took books and they shortened them and they put them in these kind of binders and people bought them on a regular basis and would read the Reader's Digest version. For those of you who are younger, when people say, give me the Reader's Digest version, they say the shorter version. I've always said that inside of every book, there's a pamphlet crying to get out. Just let me out, please, this book's too long. But anyways, the Reader's Digest version, Paul gives them the Reader's Digest version of the Old Testament. Gives him the whole scope, but he does it emphasizing something that has to do with entropy and how we solve that. Who wants to solve that problem in our lives of getting older and things falling apart? Absolutely. Here's his points. God chose Israel as his people. They went into slavery and they multiplied greatly in Egypt as slaves. Then they escaped slavery and they were in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering, finding out who they were, working through what it meant to be a nation on their way to the promised land. Gave them the promised land and for 450 years they had judges, not kings. And then they asked for a king. And then he mentions 
Saul. Now you wouldn't think that in a Reader's Digest version of the Old Testament you mentioned Saul, but why would Paul mention Saul? Because that's his name. And Saul was the hero of the Benjamin, Benjaminites, the, ben, the tribe of Benjamin. And so he says, hey, uh, my name's Shaul, my name's Saul, and there was a Saul who was a king. And then came King David. And Paul says, David was a man after God's own heart. And God gave a whole bunch of promises to David. David's lineage led to Jesus. And the beginning of the book of Matthew, beginning of the book of Luke, you have the lineage of Jesus going back through David. And John the Baptist was asked, what about these things? And John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. It's Jesus that you need to look at. This is Paul saying these things. Insiders don't get it. And Paul said it was the insiders who didn't get it that Jesus was important. It was the outsiders who got it. Pilate crucified him. He was crucified just as Adana was singing up here. These are teaching songs. The cross and the tomb and Holy Week. He walks us through Holy Week really quickly. Then Paul says, God raised him according to the promise of David. And here's the point he was trying to make. Why did he bring in David? Why did he bring in Jesus? The promises to David went to a man who rotted in his grave. His body saw corruption. Jesus did not. And that's his main point. His main point was this. David got the promises, but decomposed. Jesus didn't decompose. He was raised and receives all the promises of David. That's his point. Basically, this morning, I'm going to ask you to choose your story. Because we all have our own storyline, too. And how we're going to think about things. On your left is rust and corruption. On your right is stainless steel. And Paul lays before the people, do you want to live a life of corruption or do you want to live a life of stainless steel? Do you want to degenerate and decompose like David or do you want to be uncorruptible like Jesus? And if you are uncorruptible, you're going to think differently. You're going to live differently. You're going to make decisions differently. You're going to be a different kind of person. You're not just going to heaven someday to live forever. That's true. But you're going to live differently today because today is all there ever is going to be. 10,000 years from now, in eternity, all you will have is the present. And Jesus continues to focus on the present because that's where the presence of God is, is in the present. Why be saved for eternity if that doesn't translate into something about the way we live our lives here? Joyce Meyer often says there's a lot of people who are saved and headed for heaven, but they're living in hell on earth because they don't apply the truths of the stainless steel to their lives. They're still living as if they are rusty chains. They don't apply it. There's people who go to church every single week for their whole lives, decade in, decade out, and never apply the truths of Jesus and the resurrection to their daily lives. And as a pastor, it hurts to watch it. 
It hurts to see people stewing and worrying about the decomposition and corruption and entropy all around them. And they're headed for heaven. They really are safe, but they're not putting it to work. Who thinks that that's possible? It is very possible. Acts 13, 37 through 39. Here's how he closes his speech. He opens it by raising his hand. He walks people through salvation history, compares David to Jesus, and he closes it. He says, the promises, it was a reference to someone else, someone, not David, someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. The promises were for Jesus, is what he's saying. Brothers, listen. We're here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness for all your sins. Rust remover. One day I saw on a YouTube channel, there's such a stuff, there's stuff you can actually spray on and, and paint on rust that turns it into something else. What's that called? Something, a rust transformer, rust something. It's just great stuff. What was it? Yeah, just, well, this is stuff that actually turns it into something else. There's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. So he invites people into a life of stainless steel who are living in rusty chains. And it takes a shift in mentality. Linda this morning talked about the shift of mentality being like an adjustment. I think of it like a chiropractor's adjustment. I was sitting at a family dinner table with my publisher, Rolf Garborg, several years ago. And his daughter, Lisa, who is married and has kids, was sitting across from me. Just met Lisa that day. She looked at me and said, do you have trouble looking to the left? I said, well, what do you mean? She says, you're always looking to the right, you're never looking to the left. And I said, what do you mean? She said, do you have trouble looking over your left shoulder when you're changing lanes? I said, yeah, I do. She walked up behind me and went, it went away. And I started looking to the left. And you've noticed I can still do this. I'm looking at you guys too. That's the kind of adjustment we need. You can be saved and not be adjusted. We have to adjust to the fact that we are in Christ stainless steel. And we are heirs of the promise. And we need to live differently because of it. We need to be different people. We need to face our challenges differently. We need to face death differently. We need to face disease differently. We need to look at our finances differently because of the fact that those promises are for us. Rust or stainless steel. We have corruption, sin, naturally, when we make bad decisions, even when we're believers, we start to rust. Are we going to receive the promise of Jesus who says your sins are forgiven? Or are we going to worry about them for the rest of our lives? Sometimes at night when you're dreaming, you get plagued by the things you've done before. Or you feel guilty about something you've done in the past. You're living in rust when you could be living in stainless steel. Jesus has made you fresh and new and forgiveness is real. And if you're feeling guilty about something you've done, 
then you don't believe that Jesus forgave your sins and you're living rusty when you could be living as stainless steel. Guilt has no place for a believer. If you believe Jesus has forgiven your sins, believe it and move on. Believe it and move on. Do you believe in guilt or you believe in grace? Aging, physical degeneration, we're all dealing with it. Even the youngest of you, we're all dealing with it. How do we face these things? If your life is eternal, this life we get older. For men, hair starts to migrate. We don't lose hair, it just shows up in funny places. You know, it's, just, it's the way that works. We all end up slowly. Who here doesn't need reading glasses after 50? Very few people. That's part of life here. But if we see ourselves as living eternally, it changes the way we deal with it. We don't, it's, it's not a big deal. The Bible tells us we get a glorified body. And guess what we don't have with a glorified body? We don't have reading glasses. And any of that stuff. I'm hoping I get my 20-year-old body. That'd be awesome. We'll see. In a hurry. If you have eternal life, why on earth are you in a hurry? My wife keeps telling me, you have to stop scrambling. I'm often scrambling before I have to do something. If you're living eternally, you've got to slow down. Because if you're in a hurry, you're missing the present. And where does God live? In the present. You lose track of God. Dallas Willard, arguably the smartest Christian ever to live in Los Angeles, the whole area here, was asked by one of his students, what's the biggest insight you have about practical life? He says, ruthlessly get rid of hurry in your life because you'll miss God. Ruthlessly get rid of hurry in your life or you will miss God's presence in your life day to day. Slow down. You've got thousands of years ahead of you. And you know that person that comes talking, talking at you and talking too much? You've got time for him. You've got time for her. Very often we get real task-oriented and we just kind of blow past people when sometimes we ought to be listening. And sometimes people go on for a while and you've got to keep listening because there's good stuff in there. Taking time for people is what eternal people do. It's what stainless steel people do. And when people get all defensive about something and all upset about something, we can just be patient. We don't have to get upset with them. Who's been around people who get defensive and touchy? Yeah, just relax. You've got eternity to deal with these people. Bad news media. I was fired from bad news media and the radio because I refused to make bad news worse than it was. And that's the truth. The media is there to scare you. Fear sells. And every disaster, and people think things are getting so much worse. No, the media is just telling us more bad stuff because they're scouring the world looking for the worst stuff possible. And the more you watch news, the more you're, I'm not saying don't be informed. I'm saying just be really cognizant of the fact that they're trying to trap you because it, it attracts your eyeballs when there's a disaster. And bad news, we don't have to worry because God says in the end it's going to be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. God is going to take care of things and he'll turn bad things into 
good things. Romans 8, 28 says he will take all things, turn all things for good for those who love. Remember the word love. We're going to get back to that in a second because love chases out fear. It's really true. Generate love, your fear starts to disappear. You can watch the news and know what's going on, but you don't have to be afraid of it. And I see so many Christians so afraid. They have a euphemism for fear and worry. It's called concern. I don't worry about these things. I've met so many pessimistic Christians and the, the two just don't go together. It doesn't make any sense to be a really pessimistic Christian. Fear of man, fear of women, fear of other people. Do you know that social fear drives many of our decisions? Oh, what will so-and-so think of me? There's one thing about the people in the New Testament. They didn't care what people thought of them. Chop my head off, roast me on a spigot, whatever you want to do, I'm fine. And there were a lot of martyrs early on. Why were there martyrs? They weren't afraid of losing their lives. They weren't afraid of what people thought of them. Was Jesus ever afraid of what people thought of him? No. Was Paul ever afraid of people, what people thought? No. They just spoke truth as they needed to. So many times we say things that we don't believe because we're afraid of someone. We have to keep peace with this person, otherwise they could get mad at me. Ah, never mind. Move on. Generic worry. For some people, this is the background music of their lives. Generic worry music. Oh, the, the wallpaper, if you're a visual person, just worry. Uh, things are getting worse. It's going to get. Things have never been worse. People, statistically, there's never been a better time to be alive. There's never been a less violent time to be alive. There's never been less people hungry than today. There's never been a time where more women can read in the world than now. Life expectancy is twice in Africa what it was when I was born. Are there still problems? Yes, there are. But things are not worse than they've ever been. They just aren't. If you really look at the statistics, the world is, oh, there's never been a time in human history where you are less likely to die at the hands of another person than right now. There's never been a time where children are more safe. We can't let kids out these days. Kids are safer than they've ever been. We, we wrapped them in bubble wrap, for goodness sake, and put helmets on them. Where do they go? They're ways, things we used to do, bouncing around the back of the pickup truck, it's a whole different world. Kids are way safer than they've ever been generic worry. Well, I've got I to work hard for retirement because that's just going to be this little piece of time and boy, I better focus on that. Forgetting that we have thousands of years to focus on this one little piece of 15, 20 years, which we, there's nothing wrong with enjoying that time. But to think that that's it. We're going to die soon, so we better do this. That gets to be a problem. Why evangelize? Why should we evangelize? Because people are living lives of rusty chains when they could be living stainless steel lives. And if we care about them and if we love them, that should make a difference. We're not just sharing our faith so that we can get more people in church so we can make the budget. That's not the point. The point is we have a lot of people suffering in the world because they're living rusty chain lives. And they're not living with the promises that come with the resurrection. I'm going to invite the worship team up here. At the bottom there is a, an Aramaic phrase, and that's the language of Jesus. And I was reading, practicing Aramaic last night, because Wendy was at a, at a gathering with Linda, a Christian gathering at the, at the pond. 
and I ran across Isaac of Nineveh. That's his name in, in the Aramaic. Yitzchuk the Nineveh. Isaac of Nineveh. 650 AD. I'd like us to read this out loud. Those who have found love consume Christ at all times and become immortal from then on. When we love, the rust turns to stainless steel. You can't love and worry at the same time. There's something about receiving the love of God and loving other people. Because Jesus said that's the center of everything. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you kick that gear in, your rust turns to stainless steel and you see things differently. And you act differently. You behave differently. You talk differently. Love. The love of God and the love of others. When we do that, we consume Christ at all times and become immortal. From then on, nothing can hurt us. You become bulletproof, even if they take your body. Martin Luther says at the end of 500 years ago, at the end of uh, Mighty Fortress, were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom's ours forever. There's a person who learned to live stainless steel, and he didn't care what people thought about him. He wasn't afraid of people transformed the church, transformed Europe, brought about the modern world. Here's Paul again in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, thank you, Tamara. See, I need reading glasses. The one looks a little bit like a two. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. This was written by a stainless steel man named Paul. And we can inherit that promise and it can change everything we do. So choose your story. Choose the way you want to live. Let's stand. I invite you to pray with me. I'm going to give you some words a few at a time. And if they're not in your heart, don't say them. But I want to kind of guide you through a prayer. Heavenly Father. Got to do better than that. Heavenly Father. You all agree with that part. Heavenly Father. From time to time, I have lived a life of rusty chains and spoke and behaved and thought accordingly. I want your son to transform those chains into stainless steel. I want to put away corruption and become uncorruptible. Lord, help me to speak and think and behave like the truth of the fact that I am in Christ and he is stainless steel and immortal. Give me an adjustment by your Holy Spirit that I might 
behave in line with my eternal salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, if you pray this for the first time, this has eternal consequences. If you're praying it because you need an adjustment, we all do from time to time. Go home differently than you came here. If we're believers, which we are, let's act like it. In a world where people are full of fear and hatred and division, panic, we can let our light shine. We can be salt and light. Lord, help us to make a difference to the people around us and claim the promise that the Bible gives to us. Give us assurance of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you want to, we're going to sing the song Blessed Assurance by Fanny Crosby. I don't know if you heard the story about her. She... Um, lost her sight when she was just a baby, um, like the wrong treatment or something like that. Um, <coughs> but it didn't stop her um, from falling in love with God and His Word. Um, her grandma played a big role in that, so she was reading scripture to her, and so she um, started writing songs, like poems and um, lyrics, the hymns. So this is one of her hymns. And I just wanted to read something I found on, um, online, so this is not my words, I'm just going to read it um, from the article. What is blessed assurance? Blessed assurance is a term used to describe a person's assurance that they um, are going to be saved. This assurance um, comes from the knowledge that God has already chosen them for salvation and will ha um, never leave them alone. Blessed assurance means having complete confidence in God's promises. It's being absolutely certain that God will do what He says He will do. When we have blessed assurance, we can rest assured that we are safe in His hands no matter what life throws our way. Blessed assurance doesn't mean that we will never experience hardship or heartache. In fact, we can be confident that God will use even the difficult times in our lives to bless us and mature us. But we can be certain that He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can always trust Him to work everything out for our good Romans 8.28. Do you have blessed assurance? If not, ask God to give you this precious gift. It's the best assurance you can um, have this, in this life. So yeah, we, um, we just wanted that everyone have, will have this assurance in God and in salvation. Let's sing the song.